It says, in those days, John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So he's down, he's down south. And his message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it seems like Matthew has a commentary here. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. You know, some 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah spoke of John the Baptist's actions here, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And Father, this morning as we turn our hearts to your word, as we want to Lord, seek to wake the things in our hearts clear and uncluttered. Lord, that your word might find a fruitful place within each one of our hearts. And so God, please just bless our study this morning of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can all be seated. The, the title of my message this morning is Get Ready, the King is Coming. Here's what we all need to understand. It's been 400 years since God has had a spokesperson to the nation of Israel. 400 years God has not spoken to Israel. That's how long it's been. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, which we actually find in the New Testament. It wasn't Malachi. No, it's John here. And he is declaring, get ready, people, the king is coming. So word on the streets is there's some hippie and this designer camel clothing eating grasshoppers and wild honey out in the desert. And just, can you kind of envision that? You know, he's got the big beard going down, way bigger than that one. You know, and no doubt you can't eat honey without it getting in your beard. So he's probably got some ready snacks for when he gets hungry along the way. And here he is. He's out preaching in the desert declaring, you need to get ready For the kingdom of God is at hand. So team, you've got to lace up your sandals. Because the whole point of inductive Bible study is that we become a part of the story. So you and I, we've got to lace up our sandals and we have to head out. And we've got to see what the talk is around the town that's out in the desert. Because otherwise it's just going to be a story. We've got to become part of the story. You know, for the talk on the walk out to the wilderness wilderness is, what is God going to speak to us? Keep in mind, I mean, I would hope that we'd be uh, uh, depressed if God didn't speak for us for four days, or 40 days, or 400 days. But God hasn't spoken to these people for 400 years. He's always had someone speak to them. Okay, we need to understand that. And now for the last 400 years... It's been silent. The Bible, the scholars call it the silent period. The Levites and the priests who should have been declaring God's way to the people of Israel, totally corrupted by man in this day. So the commoner, the sinner, they knew that was totally messed up. So here's all the sinners are gathering. They're heading out to the desert because they want to know. I mean, they really want to know what God has to say. And so here we are, we're, we're pushing through the crowd, we're trying to get close so we can hear, and the first words, from God to John, and John opens his mouth and says, you have your Bible, it's, it's right here, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Simple, straightforward, powerful, life-changing, repent, for the king is coming. Apparently, God doesn't have a problem having a, have a, saying the repent word. It's kind of on the endangered species list in the churches these days. And as you listen to this crowd, here's John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you, as you listen to the voices in the crowd, as you look at their faces, in their hearts, they're going, yes, this is what I need to do. This is divine. I need to repent of and turn away from my sins. And so people amass are stepping forward into the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. As they come out of the water, they are confessing their sins. Not to John, that would be weird. They're looking up, confessing their sins to God. That's what's happening here. Now, let's pause for a couple minutes and let's see if if what is happening here is consistent with the rest of the Bible. It's very important we realize whether or not it is. And there's always one good way to find out if what John is saying here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there's always one good way to find out if that's true, and that's always by going back and looking in the Bible. So we look at the rest of the scriptures. So hold your spot here. You're not going to have to turn very far. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has already been tempted by the devil. And, and John has been put in prison. So Jesus of Nazareth now comes on the scene. And these are his first recorded words in verse 17. Let me know if you see a similar pattern. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar? Say it like you mean it. Yes. Yeah, it does. Repent, the time to get ready, it's now. Mark's gospel records these words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this way. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus sends his boys out on their first mission trip while he's still with them. And this is what he tells them to say, and you'll find it in Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So they went out and preached that people everywhere should take a guess. Oh, you guys are sharp this morning. Some of you are. Some of you are still sleeping. But anyone see a pattern developing here? The crowds are thick, and Jesus is out preaching and teaching them. And someone asked him in the crowd, Hey, Jesus, what about the local news? What about those guys that died? Are they worse sinners than all the rest of us? And Jesus says to this man, I tell you, it's in Luke 13, 5, I tell you, no, they are not worse sinners, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I don't know if you've heard that word in a while. I hope so. Because it's a, it's a God word. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected from the dead. It's been 50 days since that resurrection. There's 120 believers. God wants us to know that. 120 believers gathered together praying. Because, see, Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the power from on high to fall upon them. And so here they are praying. 
The sound of the rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they're sitting. It has caught the attention of the people of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that, that these people that are praying, they've all, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, and it's very clear the Bible tells us he's filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and he delivers the first sermon of the New Testament church. Okay, we need to understand that. So, so we got to step into the crowd again. So what's the first sermon of the New Testament church going to be? What are the first words of God to the bride of Christ or the future bride of Christ? This is going to be the first message ever. These are Jesus' words for Jesus' people. We find it in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Here we read it this way. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this. See, they were going this way. We've crucified the king. We're in good shape. We're in charge of our lives. But when Peter spoke to them, hey, you've crucified him, something starts to happen in their hearts. And they start taking themselves off as being the Lord of their life. And they're responding to the message. And they're tuning in. And they're listening. Look what it says there. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Man, that we recognize we, we can't be in charge of our lives no more. What should we do? Then Peter said to them, God's first message to the church, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's water baptism. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So critical for all of our lives. But that's a whole other Bible study. But do you see a pattern here? I hope so. Repent is not a word of feelings and tears and empty promises. There's no hope in that. Repent is a word of action. And maybe you went forward to an altar call, or maybe you raised your hand when an invitation was given, and maybe you prayed a sinner's prayer, and, and here we are years later, but nothing's changed. Nothing's happened. I, I can help you here. No one told you that you needed to repent. See, repent is a word that is a word of action. Repentance requires activity within the human heart. It requires a change of direction or a change of ownership. When you were born, and as you grew older, you were in charge of your life. You were calling the shots. You were doing what you wanted to do. It was you. You know, when you were younger, your parents told you what to do. But, you know, as you grew older, you're in charge of your life. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't timeshare with Christians. You know what I mean? You know, I'm going I'm to be in this place this week, and then someone else is going to be in it the 50, other 51 weeks. Uh, Jesus doesn't timeshare. You have to relinquish control of your life. Re Repent is what it means to come to God. You're doing your way, doing your thing, and the Spirit of God is calling you, and you turn. And as you're turning, you're going, whoa, I can't be the Lord of my life any longer. And the Holy Spirit makes himself known to you. And now he's in control of your life. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ because they are no longer in charge of their life, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why? Because, and, and we're still going to sin because we're sinners, saved by grace. But there is a turning of removing ourselves 
office being Lord and a surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You could say you were the master of your own life. You sat as king over your own heart. But to come to Jesus or to repent, you have to relinquish. You have to turn to him. You have to take yourself off as king over your heart and over your life and over your will. See why it's not preached a lot in the churches anymore? Wow, that's kind of offensive. You're telling me I can't be in control of my life anymore. No, I'm not telling you. That's just what the word means. You got to surrender. And you got to allow Jesus to rule over your heart and life and will. This requires activity. It's not just some feelings. You know, anything short of you being the Lord of your life, but you believe Jesus died for you, it's just Christian religion. But Christian religion is never going to get people into heaven. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe you've prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times. But you know in your heart you've never turned and taken yourself off the throne of your life and allowed Jesus to be on the throne of your life. The Bible calls that repent. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. His disciples preached it. Peter preached it. And Paul preached it. It's critical. We all need to understand that Jesus will never wrestle you for that top spot as king over your life. He won't. That would make him a dictator. You must repent and allow him to be king over your heart and life. Thus, biblical repentance requires activity. It's critical. Repent's not a prayer. It can be. But more so, it's an activity that requires the bending of my will to Jesus and allowing him to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. For proof of that, please, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, you should look there because that's exactly what this says. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But that doesn't just say, Jesus, Lord, you know, years ago, there was a guy, young guy out here, and he says, look right here in the Bible. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So I, I'm telling you, I'm saved. Jesus is Lord. I said, you don't think the devil can say that? It's not words. If all it is is words, words are meaningless. No, it's I am confessing him as the Lord. That means I'm not the Lord no more. I was. I was minding my own business, doing my own thing, and then God started calling me, just like he did you. But I think there's a lot of people in the church who are still Lord over their lives, but they think they're going to heaven, but they've never, they've never repented of that. That's the first step. You've got you to let all that go as you're turning to Jesus to be able to receive him as the Lord of your life. When Paul was preaching to the elite philosophers of his day in Athens... He said this in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the God-man. And it's this man who he has ordained, he has given assurance of this all by raising him from the dead. And when, when Paul spoke that, some people mocked and a few believed. And, and I hope we all want to believe this morning. I hope there's no mockers here. That what God has declared, he will do as sure as the sun rises tomorrow. It's, inc it's important. 
when, while Paul is in prison, we, we see him preaching to the unsaved governmental leaders of his day. It would be the Supreme Court and President Trump. And I mean, Paul is there. He's, they're gathered. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 20, Paul is preaching to unsaved people that they should repent Turn to God. That's a separate activity. Repent is taking myself off the throne of my life. Turn to God and allow him to be the Lord of my life. And then the third thing he says, and do works befitting repentance. This is what Paul is preaching. This was his message. It's what he preached to unsaved people, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Acts 26, 20. You'll find he's preaching to King Agrippa there. And King Agrippa says, oh, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Why? Because the message was accurate and it was biblical. It's critical. You know, we were in the Philippines the last three weeks, and for all of you who prayed for me and my wife, thank you. It, it was probably the most amazing trip out of every time I've ever been out of the country. It was amazing. And this message here is so critical because, see, they're all steeped in their religion. They know they're not going to get into heaven because they're never going to be good enough. And when you come to them and say, hey, look, you're the Lord of your life right now, and Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life, but you've got to take yourself off as Lord of your life, and you've got to turn to God and believe in what Jesus has done for you, and he'll forgive you all, all your sin. He'll be the Lord of your life, and he will guarantee you eternal life. Would you like to pray and ask him to do this in your life? So often it's like, well, of course. Of course I do. Of course I want to do that. Because, see, they know religion will never, and them calling the shots will never get him into heaven. True biblical salvation requires me taking myself off the commander chair of my life and allowing Jesus to take that place as he guides me through this life, all the way to heaven. Re re repents the first word of the gospel, team. You know, maybe you've shared with people and, and there's never really a response. Hey, make sure you include the word repent. It gives incredible hope. Look, you remove yourself from the throne, allow Jesus to settle there. There can't be two masters here. Incredible hope. It's got to be included when we present the gospel. Everyone used it in the scriptures. You're going this way. God says, no, come this way. Let me be the Lord. As you turn to him, it's critical. The message works in the Philippines. The message works in Santa Barbara. The message works in the, in, in the woodlands. Well, let's look at what else God is doing out in the desert after 400 years of silence, verse 4 in Matthew 3. I mean, John obviously was attractive in a weird hippie sort of a way, clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt, locust and wild honey. He definitely has this whole Elijah vibe that we've seen in First Kings chapter, uh, the book of First Kings going down. It's not exactly the typical religion look of the day. Here he is here. And yet the man was simple. His message was simple. The actions were simple. His word was, was simple. And certainly his diet was very simple. But you know what? God blessed the simple man with the simple message, with the simple diet. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. It tells us that. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, because repent clarifies and cleans it all up, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing 
their sins. Oh, but why? Simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's such a critical part of our message, team. And look, I mean, get your Bible map out. Look at this whole geographical area. A ton of people are going out there. And as we enter into this crowd, team, can you feel the excitement? Can you see the dust? And then the people going into the water, and they're coming up smiling and excited? Man, people are unloading their sins. They knew Judaism didn't work, and so here they are. Because that failed them, and they are getting right with God for the first time in their life, and they are free, and they're excited about it. They're smiling again. You know, there was people that we had crossed our paths with in the Philippines. A young gal was raped. Another one, her sister, uh, it'll be coming up on a year, died. Over there, if you don't take responsibility when someone comes to the hospital, they leave you there. She sat there for three and a half hours in the hospital. Nobody touched her. How would that make you feel? She's bitter. Another gal, a lot of dads abandon the daughters, just take off, have kids scattered all across the Philippines. Her mom died two years ago. Her brother died last year. She already, she mess. I mean, they've messaged us so many times since we were there. And she messaged me this morning and said, because I sent her a thing saying, Happy Easter. And she said, Thank you to my second parents. Because people are hurting. But they respond to the message. And they're smiling again. And that's what's happening here. There's a spiritual awakening happening among the Jews. And people are confessing their sins to God and their need to get right before the king comes. And as they're getting dunked in the Jordan, they're coming up, getting rid of all the sin. And it's the same today, team. A person must recognize their spiritual need for Jesus before they turn to him for salvation. Otherwise, why go? No, I'm good. I'm good. No. There, there has to be something that's happening. And see, that happens when the Holy Spirit starts calling us. And then all of a sudden, something starts awakening us. For me, it was God pointing out that I was doing things wrong. Age 22, prior to that, I, I had no right or wrong. It was just don't get caught. And then all of a sudden, I opened my Bible, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, lying is wrong. It's, I'm three weeks away from surrendering, but God is starting to chip away and show me I can't be the Lord of my life anymore. And so every time he spoke to me, I just agreed with him. For you, I'm sure it's something different. But in all of us, the Holy Spirit comes knocking on our hearts, seeking to awake us to our need for Jesus. And like in all good, great awakenings when God is moving, well, check it out. Here comes the counterfeiters. John, uh, in verse 7, John rolls out the welcome mat. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. Wow, John. It's pretty loving there. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? See, John realized that death to any movement of God was old religion. He calls them out. Brood of vipers. If you're thinking, well, you know, that's kind of harsh. You might want to go read Matthew chapter 23 and see what Jesus says to them. I think he calls them that seven times. I think. There's a lot of names he calls them. But let's be in the crowd. We're in the water. 
Some of you haven't hit the water yet. It doesn't say they said anything. So how does he know? How does he know they're not coming to get baptized? How does he know their hearts haven't changed? And so here comes the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're actually making their debut into the scriptures. The Pharisees believed in angels and demons and the resurrections. And the Sadducee ones, well, they don't believe in anything. The Pharisees were religious minded while the Sadducees were more politically minded. As we step into the crowd here and ask ourselves, why does John challenge them when they show up? What does he see? Simple answer. John's baptism is out of a desire to change my life. And when these two groups shows up, he sees something that we don't see. He sees the big shots have arrived. They've got their big regal royal robes and they're kind of swishing through the crowd. Oh, sinners, stay away from me. Because they didn't want sinners to touch them, make them unclean. So maybe they're pushing them away. And John sees this. And John says, man, you haven't changed. You've come to cast judgment. That's why you're here, to cast judgment, to judge. Who gave you the authority to do this? Remember, they always are coming out. You know, Jesus goes in, cleans the temple. Who gave you the authority to do this? They just want to judge. Something that God's supposed to do. They don't want to repent of their evil ways. There's a large crowd here, so they want to come out and feel important in the midst of it. And John is calling them out. Hey, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, John didn't exactly have his compassion hat on here. You know, and when you read Matthew 23, you realize, well, Jesus didn't eat. No, that's only from our perspective. Because when we get in the book of Acts, it says that many priests came to the faith. Many of the religious, these, many of these guys came to the faith. So it may not seem nice and kind, but God uses it. So God, John goes on record here and tells them what they need to do. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I mean, can you picture these religious hypocrites here? I mean, can you read their hearts? Who does this crazy man in the water with the camel's thing and the beard and grasshoppers, who does he think he is? We're Abe's kids, man. Abraham's our heritage. Who does he think he is? And then John said, hey, don't, don't think to yourselves we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So how do you bear fruit worthy of repentance? It has to be a way of living heart change, not talking heart change. And like I said, we're still going to sin. We're sinners. But there has to be a way of living heart change. You know, I was doing my own thing. You know, most of you know what that sin was. But then as I turned, that stuff started falling away. That stuff was falling away even before I got saved because God was working in me. Because I was removing myself as being the master of my life. And God was just working with me. See, if my life only represents different words I speak at church gatherings, 
And then I go home and continue the same way even before Jesus, I, was, I heard about Jesus? Then either Jesus has failed you or you have religion. These religious ones act like they're waiting for the Messiah as well, but there's nothing happening in their hearts here. And it's extremely easy for John to see that there's nothing being played out on the outside because there's nothing going on in the inside. The common people were getting baptized, confessing their sins, were smiling, were excited. Not these guys. They're too good for that. These pious religious windbags were thinking to themselves, who does this camel-looking, grasshopper-eating man think he is by telling us to repent? No doubt that's going through their mind because that's, that's, all, that's all we see is John's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here comes another crowd. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the only message we see. But it's effective. It's very effective. And here these guys are. Maybe they're thinking, certainly God would have spoken to us first because we are God's righteous religious rulers. Barf. Doesn't this guy know who we are? Oh, no, he knows who we are. That's why he says, that's why he says here, hey, look, you know, you guys aren't children of Abraham. You may think you are, but man, God can use stones here and do what you think you're doing. See, they believe they are saved because they are children of Abraham. Or to make it modern, they believe they are saved because they are Americans. 85% of people in America believe they're Christians. I, I don't know about you, but if this is what a Christian nation looks like, we got problems, amen? We got some big problems. I'm not saved because I'm American. I'm saved because, because God was pursuing me and I took myself off the throne of my life as I'm turning to him because otherwise you would never turn. You would just keep going your way. You gotta, let, you, gotta, you gotta drop being Lord or you'll never turn. Why turn? You turn because you realize you can't be Lord. I mean, how are these doctors of religion responding to John's demand for them to repent for the kingdom of heaven as, as a hand? They're justifying themselves. And, and I hope there's no one here justifying themselves. I don't need to do that. I don't need to repent. Um, you might want to go home and fire up a Bible program and type in these words, R-E-P-E-N-T, and hit enter. Because we just finished the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uh, there's all these people that are, don't repent and the rocks keep falling on them. God wants them to repent, but they won't. And so John tells them, hey, you need to bear fruit worthy of repentance. The greater part of this is bearing fruit from the inside because of heart change, and then it flows out to the outside. Who, who has ever bought oranges at Sam's Club or the grocery store, and they look so great on the outside, and then you get them home, and they're like sawdust? Show of hands, please. Uh, orange growers of America, that's like almost everybody raising their hand. The ones that didn't probably are ashamed to raise their hand. Why is that? The inside doesn't match the outside. The inside has to match the outside or it's wrong. And anymore, I have, I, it's like, I'm taking them back. Well, we never have people taking them back. Well, I'm taking them back. Here you go. I ate one, but, you know, thanks for the free orange. You can actually get free food that way, actually, if you think about it. I'm, I'm not allocating that, but, hey, maybe they'll start getting better produce. 
I ate so many mangoes over in the Philippines. I never eat them here because they're horrible. I ate so many over, over there. They were placed before me before the last day, and I only ate them because I had to. I was so full of them. And you've never ate mangoes until you ate them in the Philippines. Haven't. Because over there, the inside matches the outside. Here, woody. They need some sugar. Not over there. And so John is telling the people that it takes an inner commitment to be eventually baptized. Stop trusting in your Jewish heritage. I mean, he's working with these guys. Don't say you're Abraham. He's working with them. Did you catch what John says God will do with the unproductive religious trees that do not bear fruit? Verse 10, there's no pruning here. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, I would think that would catch my attention if I was a self-righteous person seeking to get into heaven by my religious heritage. That would get my attention. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And church, we need that. I may back up and just, we may camp on that verse next week. We need the Holy Spirit and fire. I understand. So much of the church over here says, no, none of that stuff is for today. The other side over here is so wacky and crazy. No, but it's biblical. It's biblical. Go read the book of Acts. It's in there. Actually, go read your Bible. It's in there. There's two baptisms in that one verse right here. Verse 11. Number one, John's baptism. And the element used to bring about John's baptism was water, and the issue or the reason behind John's, John's baptism for water was for the repentance from sin. The element used to bring about Jesus' baptism was the Holy Spirit and fire, because uh, the, and the source of that power is the Holy Ghost. And the issue or the reason behind Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit is you and I, we need power for changed lives. The fire, I believe, that John's talking about is that of refining process which takes place when the Spirit of God comes upon us and burns up the chaff in our lives, that burning away, the melting away. The Holy Ghost does that work in a surrendered life. You don't have to buy a book for it. You don't have to buy a book for this issue or this thing. You don't need a program for this thing. No, a surrendered life dwelling under the influence of the Holy Ghost and God will clean those things up in your life. Because see... So often it's God getting more of me and not me getting more of God. See, if my, if my life is three-quarters full of me and I, I ask God for, his, for him to, like, like, Lord, I need your power. Pour your spirit upon me. He only, I only get a quarter. Why? Because the cup's three-quarters full of me. See, the cup needs to be empty of us. So it's getting more. God is getting more of us and we're getting then more of him. Verse 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he'll thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but it'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. They'd do this on a hill. They'd put all the wheat up there. They'd run the sledges across it, break it up from the, the, the stock and the grain and then the grain would be broken up and the husk would out, outside and they'd wing it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the heavy grain would settle. That's what's happening here. The entire purpose was to separate the wheat from the chaff. Notice it says here that Jesus will thoroughly clean out his floor. And like I said, he does. 
So in this story, you're either a piece of wheat that's gathered into the barn of heaven, by far the better choice, or you're the unusable husk that's gathered up and burned with unquenchable fire. There's nothing good there. I know religion would like, again, to make a third choice, but there isn't a third choice. There's gain, grain gathered in the heavens or burn up in the fire. That's the saying of the day was, avoid the heat, be the wheat. I mean, that's, that's how we should be. Verse 13. Then Jesus, as he makes himself known to the world, you know, he, he, he's coming. He, he, he came. He came of his own free will. He comes from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. John recognized that. I need that spirit and fire baptism. And are you coming to me? I mean, wouldn't you do the same? You know, here comes Jesus. Hey, I need you to be baptized. No, no, no. <laughs> you baptized me. So I understand what's going on here. This passage is what sh they showed me when they said, hey, you need to be baptized. Oh, I was baptized as a baby. Oh, no, no, no. You need to be baptized now as a believer. Really? Why? And they took me right to this passage. Huh. It's a no-brainer. Jesus is getting baptized. I'm getting baptized. I mean, it takes away all the excuses. I don't know if you've ever been baptized as a believer, but let me, let me just say this. If your Lord and Savior got water baptized, you need water baptized. You need to get dunked because it says he come in, came in out of the water. Verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him. So John is baptizing Jesus. Please understand, not for the confession of Jesus' sins, okay? That would be crazy. Jesus has nothing to confess or repent of. But I believe this is so clear that Jesus is being baptized because he wants you and I to see that we need to be baptized. So in his humanity, he's 100% God, 100% man, but in his humanity, he's going to go into the waters and identify with humanity and be baptized. See, Jesus being baptized eliminates every excuse as to why people don't want to be. Watch for the picture that God had at work here in verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Maybe as all of heaven looks in. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what's happening here. As Jesus, the perfect one, identifies with sinful humanity, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, something that Jesus, and I'm assuming others, saw as well. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When all of this in the crowd heard this, we knew that Jesus was no longer an ordinary man. When we came out to be baptized and we heard these words from, God, from heaven about Jesus, we recognized we are standing in the presence of the Messiah. He was recognized by God the Father as a God-man, as he fulfills all righteousness that his Father had for him. So let's finish up today, but let's end where we started. The title of my message was, Get Ready for the King is Coming. And for us today in terms of eternity, and eternity is three weeks closer than the last time I was here, it is. Three, you know, when we get here next week, eternity will be one week closer. But here's what I want us all to realize. There's only two groups of people here this morning 
in this place and in every Bible-based church around the globe, there's only two groups of people. There's not three. There's not four. No, there's two. I understand we'd like to make three, four, or five. No, there's only two. If you are in Christ today because you turned to Jesus as the Holy Spirit was calling you and as you were removing yourself from being the Lord of your life and you received Jesus as the Lord of your life because you believed that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and as you turned to him, the Holy Spirit came upon you and came in you. You're in great shape. If that's you, Jesus is in you. And please know that the Father's thoughts towards you are the same as towards His Son that we just saw here. This right here. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. If if that transaction has transpired in your heart to where Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, this is the Father's words. 30 times the Bible says God doesn't show partiality. So this is God's word for you. This is my beloved son or this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if this is not you, you've never turned to Jesus as you took yourself off the throne of your life and asked him to be the Lord of your life, then you, you, my friend, because I care for you, you're trusting in your good works to get into heaven and to be totally upfront with you, those good works will not get you into heaven. I mean, that's the devil's greatest lie all around the world. That was like my new line over in the Philippines this time. Because they all say that. Well, because I'm, I'm, I'm good. One guy said, because of my righteousness. 99.99999% of unsaved people, when asked how they're getting to heaven, they all say the same thing, by their good works. And we all should have good works. We should be good. But if our good works could get us into heaven, then why did Jesus have to die? And see, that busts everything loose in the Philippines. Because they, they have a working t- knowledge of the old, uh, the old Testament, of creation, and you know they went to church all their life. And all of a sudden, they start to realize, I'm never going to be good enough. I don't have to be good enough because I can't be good enough. Because if I could be, then why did Jesus have to die? And God starts clicking all the dots together for him. If you were God, and there was some other way for people to get right with you and get into heaven, would you send your only son to die in someone else's place? And that answer is no. No one would do that. No one would do that. And see, that's why you got to turn to Jesus today if he's not the Lord of your life because no one's guaranteed it tomorrow. And no one's getting into heaven by their good works. I understand that's preached, but it is absolutely not in the Bible. It says we're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But we should have good works. And there's only two groups of people here today in every church all across the globe, just like I said. You've either turned and Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, or he's not. There's not a, well, I'm kind of, no, that means you're not. Either you have or you haven't. And I I can't have that on, on my conscience to where if 
the rapture of the church was to happen and I never told anyone the, the truth of the gospel. So will you turn to Jesus right now as you take yourself off the throne of your life and allow Jesus to be your Lord? Because you know, you know somewhere deep down in your heart that Jesus died for you and rose again just for you. You know somewhere deep down in your heart you know. And you know somewhere deep down in your heart that you need to prepare your heart for the king is coming and he's knocking at your door. You know that. For those of us in the other group, same message. I just add one word. Get ready, people. The king is coming back. It's a message to the church today. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, get ready, man. The king is coming back for us. The rapture of the church is going to happen. Jesus says when you see these things to begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws near. He tells us to be ready, to be watching, and be praying, and to be waiting for his return. Read his word. Grow. Get in the game. Pray for the lost around you. Allow Jesus to use you. It's the most exciting thing on the planet. But if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, then get ready, people, because he's here. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to make all things new. He wants to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And Father, this morning, we're so, so thankful for all that you desire to do in our lives.